Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and then you can also put a, a marker if you have the, uh, the parchment pages where you flip things, you can put a marker there in 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have that, then you can just open up a new screen and click a couple of buttons and have that one on standby in the, in the double-click button of your iPhone or however you decide to look at that. We're going to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 John chapter 2, in layman's terms, very simply, it says, if you say that you abide or you live in God, then you will live your life as Jesus did. If I say that I'm a Christian, that I'm a believer, if I say that I abide in Christ, then I will live my life the same way that Jesus did. It is our objective. We have this one main objective this morning in our final service of the weekend for Easter of 2018. And that objective is to remind you of what the disciples realized that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is resurrected, that Jesus alone is what I was trying to say. He solo defeated the last enemy. And at the end of this message, you'll understand what the last enemy was. Now, a couple of months ago, we were preparing for Easter. We, we get geared up and we begin to kind of dream of how we can, you know, advertise and what we can do. What we Last year, we, kid, we did the big bright sign that said, can you dig it? You know, can you dig it? All the WWE fans know what I'm talking about. Everybody else is like, what in the world is wrong with that dude? So we did the can you dig it? And God gave us a great sermon. Well, this year, we knew that Han Solo, the, the Star Wars episode, was coming out this summer. And we were like, man, April first, solo, Jesus alone conquered the last enemy. So our staff helped me write an Easter message based on the upcoming movie this Sunday, and we are ready to share that with you this morning. April Fool's. That's a lie, okay? That is not true. Uh, this is Easter, not Star wars okay? And some of you are really really excited that this message has nothing to do with Star Wars, but then, then some of you, and this is the third time I've told this joke this weekend, so, uh, some of you are, are really disappointed, okay? For those of you who are relieved, um, you will be even more relieved or maybe even impressed. For those of you who are disappointed, I need you to just proverbially put your seatbelt on because I'm about to just really cause you some major distress in life. Um, I, this was accidental. I, I did not mean to do this, but it's just a fact. I have never seen not one episode of Star Wars in my entire life. I've never watched one of them. Y'all, listen, I got booed in first service. Somebody said, boo! I was like, wow, I feel so much better. Thank you. I feel so much better. Like, I have never been booed in church before. And I've said some dumb stuff, y'all, seriously. Like some, oh my Lord, did he just say that moments? And then I said, I've never seen Star Wars. And seriously, there was like a, a reverberation of boo across the, some people were like, yeah, good for you, loser. Okay, so some people legitimately were extremely disappointed in me. Look, this message has nothing to do with Star Wars, but it, but it has everything to do with the one that is behind the purpose of everything that I do in life. I've, I've gotten to share this story. I hope that this is the first time you've heard it. This is my favorite April Fool's of all time, and it came from the least expected person in the room, but she is my favorite person, so it would make sense that she delivered the, my favorite April Fool's. In college, my wife had this roommate, and she had this little dog named Josie, okay? If that's your name, I don't have a problem with the name Josie. I did have a problem with this little dog, okay? And before I go any further, is there anybody in here you just love like teacup chihuahuas, like that is your favorite animal? In the, okay, I'm gonna be very careful, okay? I see you, I love you, okay? So she had a teacup chihuahua, and it wasn't sweet like yours, it was, it was not an angel. It was an angel. It had just fallen, okay? And so this little devil, dog, had, it was just as loud as it was small, and, and it, was, it didn't like anybody 
but its mother, and, and it really didn't like me. And so what, if you know me, and if you don't, I'd love to get to know you, but one of the things that you will learn is if, if I irritate someone, when I notice I'm, I'm irritating that someone or that something, I don't like back off and, and try to find a way to make it right. Instead, I, I, I go in the opposite direction. So I find ways to irritate more, okay? And that's what, that's the relationship that Josie and I had in college. And so one day on April 1st in college, Megan called Josie's mom at that time. And I get it, like doggy parents, like puppy parents, pal or what do you call the doggy baby or fur baby yeah that's it okay so I get fur babies now because I had one for a little while and, and now for some reason we have another one and so like three wasn't enough let's get a dog praise God okay so here he is we she had this fur baby man and this and, and she loved Josie and Megan called her and she's distraught Megan had worked this thing up planned it all out I, I can't find Josie I, I walked outside to get the mail, and I, I guess she ran out, and, and I've looked everywhere. She's not in here. I, I thought I saw her, now that I think about it, but I thought it was a squirrel or something, but I guess it was Josie. I, I got in my car, and I've looked around, and I can't find her anywhere, and her friend's like, well, well did you look did, did you look here? And she's going with it. Like She forgot it was April 1st. Like It was like Ed's birthday. I don't know if it's Ed's birthday for real or not. Like he said, somebody told me it's Ed's birthday. I was like, happy birthday. Wait, hang on. Okay, but anyway, she's looking every everywhere for this dog. And, and Megan says, I I'm sorry, she's gone. I can't find her anywhere. And on the other end is just this, just this, this distress coming from her roommate. And Megan goes, April Fools. I'm just kidding. She's right here. And her roommate goes, why would you do that? And hung up the phone. Megan called me and told me that story. I was like, look, see, bad company corrupts good morals. I am so proud of you. That is awesome. This Josie's for real not gone, though? She's like, no, no, it was April Fool's. Man, what's what he could have lost Josie to? That would be bad. That would be bad news. Like, my children really love this little fur baby thingy that we have now that uh, is going to learn one way or another that it's supposed to go outside. But either way, that would be bad news. Listen, the gospel, the gospel is, it's supposed to be the good news, the gospel is supposed to be the good news. It's not supposed to, to be what we use to slap people in the face with to try to, connect, to correct them. It's not supposed to be this brow-beating, Bible-lashing message that people are, are put into further bondage over. It's supposed to be the good news, like opening up the paper and reading a revelation that brightens up not just your day, but your entire outlook and perspective on everything. That is what the gospel, the good news of God is supposed to be. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, he says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then. Watch this. You welcomed it. When you heard it, when it convicted you, you welcomed it. You received, and you still stand firm in it. That's important. Because growing up, man, I, I got the receiving part. Like, I, I, I caught that. I received the gospel. But what I didn't get was remaining in the gospel. Standing firm in the good news. That it was actually something that I could apply to my everyday life and not just receive freedom from sin, but walk in victory over sin. Verse 2, it is the good news that saves you. Watch. If, this is the biggest if in Scripture. And I actually believe it to be live online. I believe it to be an absolute heretical doctrine that causes false confidence in salvation. If you believe anything outside of this, it's only applicable, not just if you received it, but if you continue to believe, to place your faith, your finances, your family, your future in the message of the good news of the gospel. Paul says, I told you, unless of course you believe something that was never true in the first place. Verse three, I passed on to you what was most important. 
Now, this phrase is interesting because in theology, they, they teach us this idea of the law of the first. Specifically, in this passage, it would be the law of first importance. I'll give you an example of the law of the first. Um, Abraham was instructed by God as an act of obedience to offer his first and only son, Isaac, on the altar, to give an offering to God, instructed by God. So Abraham was obedient with that offering. And as he was obedient, God revealed himself through the law of the first as Jehovah Jireh, the provider. So if it happened the first time, it's a representation of what will happen the rest of time. When we are obedient to God in every area of our life, not just the tithe, not just the treasure, but our time and our talent, and when God says give of yourself, of your effort, of your energy, of your influence, of your treasure, whatever it is that God says give, when you take that thing and you put it on the altar of God as an offering, what you don't know is that on the backside of the hill, a provision in the form of a lamb is coming up the other side to replace the thing that God actually needed to put in your heart or in your life. If you are obedient, with whatever he calls you to offer on his altar. It's the law of the first. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. In this passage, this is the law of the first importance. And what had also been passed on to me, and here's what it is, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. I believe these to be irrevocable, historical, biblical, archaeological, and scientific facts that Jesus of Nazareth, according to history, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a Roman cross and he died. I'm going to prove it today. That Jesus of Nazareth, a man from nowhere, according to the perspective of those people at that time, was buried in a very common, well-known tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who was not of the least of these, but a very prominent influence in the culture at that time. Everyone knew in that day that Jesus died and they knew where he was buried. And number three, he is resurrected from the dead. See, for me, logically, historically, biblically, Jesus was resurrected because no one ever produced a body. If Jesus were not resurrected from the dead as he said he would be, he gave them a warning. He prophesied it everywhere he went. Even his enemies knew that he was gonna give his life and raise it back up again. So if Jesus was not supernaturally resurrected from the grave, then 12 illegitimate, uneducated, non-influential men pulled off the greatest hoax in human history and people 2,000 years are still falling for it. I just can't believe that 12 illegitimate individuals were able to overthrow the Roman government and trick the Jewish Sanhedrin who expected Jesus to be raised from the dead. Rather, I believe that that same power that raised Christ from the dead is still alive today and his spirit is still drawing people into his presence. And he's coming back. He's coming back. If I were to say that Jesus is coming back today, well, I'd have to say April Fool's again, because I can't tell you that. No man knows the day nor the hour. 88 reasons for Jesus' return in 1988 has come and gone. And some people were led into Christ because of that book. Some people were confused by false doctrine and a false claim. I love, I love the idea of setting people up just to have fun with them. Um, and so I've tried this April Fool's thing before, and uh, it came back to kind of, it was like a backfire. It was the year that we told my mom that Megan was pregnant, and then she was. <laughs> uh, 
got me, April Fools. Man, that was awesome. Okay, and then another one of my favorites is uh, is kind of the YouTube videos. I know I saw this at one point. I didn't make this up, but this guy goes to his girlfriend on April Fools, and he goes and he's like pretending to take a break. So he's like, "Hey, listen, man, we just we have so much going on. I I just I feel like it'd be best for us if if we take a break right now." And instead of like, "Oh, are you serious?" She's like. Oh man, I'm so glad you said it because I feel the same way. And he's like, what? That's April Fool's, what are you doing? You need to go look that up today after. It is incredible. It's so amusing, okay? I like the old adage. It's like the old evangelical ploy, you know? And, and I don't know what this voice is, but it's just kind of what I came up with and stick with it. But it's that old evangelical ploy. If you were to die today, I said if you had to stand before Jesus this afternoon, if you were going home from service tonight, you had the opportunity to receive salvation, but you went home and you got hit by a dump truck. That's right. I said a dump truck rolling through your neighborhood in the middle of the street and you just got dump trucked and all of a sudden you're I can't even do it seriously anymore (laughs) we've done that so many times but the truth is I do believe that Jesus could come back today in fact to be totally honest I'm convicted compelled to do something about the fact that I believe that any day now I live my life as if he were coming back today. Can I tell you that this is just theoretical, just in my spirit, I'm sharing with this is not a biblical absolute, but honestly, I really believe that that Jesus will probably sound the trumpet on Easter Sunday. I really believe, and this is why, because the Bible says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but he's patient. For God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So I believe that Jesus loves us so much, that he cares so much, that he's so merciful and so gracious, that he will wait until the pinnacle of salvation received or recommitted. And when it is at its highest point, that is the moment, Easter Sunday, all around the world with dedications and rededications, the peak of people receiving Jesus's will for their lives. And Jesus will sound the alarm, burst through the clouds, and he will call home his bride. I believe that he is that gracious and it will probably happen that way. But my question is, what if he would have come back yesterday? What if he would have come back last week? What if, dare I say, and I don't mean to to offend culture, I don't even uh, mean to offend faith here, but what if Jesus were to come back on Fat Tuesday or on Hallow's Eve? Simplified even more than that. What if he were to just come back in midsummer after the high of Easter has already worn off and everyone spends more time away from gathering together in his name than they do gathering together in his name. And all the decisions that were made on Easter Sunday have already drifted away from his will for their lives and not only back into the sin that they received salvation from, but possibly even worse. What if that is when Jesus decides to come back? My question is, where will he find you? Because the simplest truth in Scripture is that if you live for Him here, you will live with Him there. But if you live without Him here, then He will not make you spend eternity with Him there. It is God's desire that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. That It's God's desire that He would separate nobody from eternal life in heaven. But if we choose to live without Him, if we choose not to receive and remain in His salvation, then there is a place called hell that is for those who do not accept the day and the decision. The good news is Jesus didn't just die for a day. He didn't just die for a resurrection Sunday. He died for our destiny. Our destination 
was established in the heavens when Jesus said, Father, not my will, but thine. Our destiny was established in heaven when Jesus was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The value of something is based on what someone is willing to pay. That is your value. Based on how much someone, if our guys will join me, based on how much someone is, is willing to pay, that is the value of something. If they're not willing to pay that, then it's not worth that. But if they are willing to pay that, then that's what it's worth. Listen to me. Heaven decided that you were worth the first and only Son of God. The Father decided that He would rather place His Son on a cross and have to turn His head from you than to see you be separated from Him for all eternity. Jesus looked down from heaven and said, if you want to live without me, then I'll let you. But you're going to have to step over my dead body in order to do it. The Father gave. Jesus died. John chapter 19, verse 32, it says, the soldiers came and broke the legs of two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. Verse 34, one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. On March 21st of 1986, the Journal of American Medical Association produced an article. This was an article based upon history, archeology, span science, and some biblical documents. This is a secular, not a Christian article. A secular journal by the American Medical Association did a report on the crucifixion of Jesus. And the first thing that they began to expound upon in this report was that Jesus was actually pierced, not through His hand, as some have referenced, but below His hand into His wrist. They shoved the spike through his wrist between the two bones. And the reason that they did that is formerly they had been putting it in the hand, but people would work themselves off because the will to live is a great thing. And adrenaline in that moment would cause people to find a way to tear themselves off the cross. And actually, there were several rebels that would come, like Barabbas' friends, would have come and done their best to pull the rebel down off of the cross. And the Romans were losing people that they were trying to crucify. But what they figured out is if they took the spike out, of, instead of putting it through the hand, if they put it into the wrist, that it would go through the two bones and it would sever the nerves in the hand. And the hand would immediately become shriveled and useless and would cause an excruciating pain. In fact, this excruciating pain is where we, that's where we get our word from the Latin root, crucify. The Romans had mastered this. They took the spikes and they put it through the, the sole of the, front, the top of the foot in the soft spot between the two bones. They were very careful not to break the bones because they wanted the person to be able to have the ability. If you break the bones, the person wouldn't have the ability to do this next point. But if they didn't break the bones, then it would just be very painful. They put a, a hundred, a centurion guard or a, a hundred Roman soldiers at the cross to make sure that no rebels came. They put the spikes in the wrist to make sure that the hand would never be able to be used again. And they put the spike directly into the foot. And now often you see this portrayed, especially in Easter presentation. That's just because we're trying to help people hold themselves up. But there's like this platform that people would stand on, but not on the Roman cross. They stopped doing that about 30 years before Jesus was crucified. And this isn't biblical. This is historical. Instead of putting him on a platform, they nailed his wrist and his feet directly to the cross because they wanted all of the weight of the individual to be on those three points. 
Well, why did they wanna do this? Why did they nail him directly to the beam? The greatest reason was to prolong the death. They wanted it to be agonizing. The only way this next picture that that individual could breathe, if you look, according to this article, secular article, the only way that the individual would be able to breathe is if they pushed on the spike and lifted with their wrist. Remember, the nerves are settled, severed. So every time they do this, it's extremely painful. They could take a breath and then fall back down and they couldn't breathe. And I want you to remember that, that every time that Jesus had to take a breath on that cross, he would not only have to endure the pain of those spikes, but just a few days before, he had been ordered to be scourged and flogged by the Romans. Now, a lot of people say that there was, he was flogged 39 times. And some have even, I've even heard pastors preach that if they would have done the 40th one, then he would have died. But he only endured. And I've heard all this, that there's 39 diseases for 39 strikes. I've heard all those things. I, I don't know. They may be right. But where they get the number 39 is actually from the book of Deuteronomy where God commands that someone would not receive more than 40 lashes for their punishment. This was a Jewish law. In fact, if the person who was giving the punishment went over 40, then they would then be guilty of breaking God's law and they would be punished. So the reason they stopped on 39 was in case they missed one, they didn't want to go over and mess it up. But Jesus wasn't beaten by Jews. Jesus was beaten by the Romans. He faced a Roman scourging. And history says, you've heard of the, what they may refer to as the cat of nine tails. It would be a whip with three ends. And on the ends of that whip, it would have bone and glass. And a lot of pastors preach the cat of nine tails, but say he only got hit 39 times. But many scholars and historians are actually probably more convinced because he went through a Roman scourging, not a Jewish scourging, that it could have been up to 60, 70, maybe even 100 times, according to the Code of Hammurabi, that Jesus was whipped. I'll tell you how bad he was beaten that Jesus, the Son of God, was so physically exhausted by the scourging that he could not carry the Roman cross up the hill of Golgotha where others were able to. He was so exhausted that somebody else had to finish and carry the cross. Every time that Jesus took a breath from here to here and back down again, that wood, the splintered wood on that cross would rub up and down the open wounds on His back. I want you to remember one of the things that Jesus said. The one of the things that He made sure and say. He only said seven things according to Scripture on the cross. But one of the things that He made sure and say was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then He dropped back down. Sometimes three or four days people would take before they died. And they never died. Rarely did they ever die from from loss of blood, but even according to this article, they would die from suffocation. And that's why we read in John chapter 19 that they came and they broke the legs of the other two thieves on the cross because the day was coming, it was Passover, and the Jews didn't want thieves still hanging on the cross dying on the day of Passover, so the Romans would come and break their legs so that they, they finally run out of strength and they would suffocate and die. But what's interesting is that according to this article, Jesus didn't suffocate. They didn't break his legs. He was already dead. This is a final picture. Biblically and historically, a Roman guard took a spear and shoved it through the right side of Jesus and it went through his lungs and into his heart. And when that Roman guard pulled his spear out of Jesus, the Bible says that blood and water came out and was poured upon the ground. This tells us two things according to this article. Two things. Number one, Jesus was already dead. He was dead. There's only one way that blood and water would be poured out of the body in this manner. And this is what struck me actually even more powerfully than the fact that he was already dead. But the American Medical Association declared that Jesus died because his heart literally exploded in his body. What does that mean for me? He said, my sin, my shortcomings, 
my past caused the heart of the Son of God to literally explode and break. But before the greatest pain that he ever faced, he sent something from the heavens and it wasn't the pain of the cross. Jesus never cried out. According to scripture, he never cried out in agony over the cross. In fact, the Bible says that he was like a sheep being led to the slaughter. He never made a sound. Until all of a sudden, Jesus hanging on the cross and he pulls himself up and he hollers in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the moment of the most excruciating pain that Jesus had ever experienced in his time of life. It was the cup that he was praying about in the garden. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It was the cup of the wrath of God. Every ounce of wrath that he had in his being poured out upon his only son. And for the first time in his existence, Jesus screamed at his father because his father had to look away. And God's presence left his son for a moment because he couldn't look upon the sin that he had poured out upon him. It wouldn't be but just a few minutes after that that we would hear Jesus' final words as he lifted up one more time to declare himself, it is finished. It's accomplished. I've done what I came to do. They would take him down, and as Paul alluded to in 1 Corinthians 15, point number two for today is he was buried. He was buried. He was buried in a tomb by a man of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. It was such a well-known tomb that the Pharisees and the Sadducees went to the Roman governor, Pilate, and they asked him to seal the stone in front of the tomb, according to Matthew 27, seal the stone and set guards at the tomb. The reason that they did this was because the Pharisees remembered that Jesus prophesied, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. And then they saw it happen on the cross. Nobody broke his legs. Nobody took his life. He declared, it is finished. And his heart exploded. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And they remembered that he did that part. So they went to Pilate. Hey, he said he was going to raise himself back up again in three days. I need you to seal that stone and I need you to set guards in front of it because if this man rises from the grave, you and the emperor of Rome are going to face a rebellion like you've never seen before. So they did it. According to history, it's probable that they took mortar and actually sealed that stone and then gave it three days to set in and to dry. And then they put a Roman guards at the front of this tomb. It would be as if the United States today had a terrorist that they, that they killed and they put in a tomb and they set Navy, Navy SEALs in front of that tomb to make sure that nobody came in and nobody got out. But then on the third day, the punishment of sin was death. But the power over sin is the resurrection. On the third day, he was and he still is resurrected from the grave. He paid for our sin, but he purchased the power to overcome it. We get to walk in the victory that he won. Paul uses the resurrection of Jesus as the proof that he was the son of God. If we stand on the promises of that proof, then I'm telling you, there's no marriage that cannot be restored. There's no son or daughter that can't be called back home. There's no soul that can't be saved. No situation that cannot be overcome. When you get in Christ and you walk in the power of the resurrection, that relationship can be mended. That loved one can be reached. That friend can come back and win more people. You can be forgiven from the guilt and the shame of your past and God can set you up in a new life as you become molded into his image and likeness, walking in the power of his resurrection. Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Verse 20 says, but 
in fact. It was undeniable. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. I want you to notice in this passage, he's not trying to prove the resurrection. He's using the resurrection as the proof. Everybody knew that Jesus had been resurrected. Everybody knew that nobody produced a body. Everybody knew that those 12 guys who were nobodies before are now building a kingdom on earth that God had established in heaven. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Verse 21, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Verse 23, but there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Verse 24, after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler, not some of, having overcome every evil desire, not some of them, having overcome every influential thing that doesn't represent the kingdom every fear every worry every ounce of anxiety every moment of depression every ounce of provision that God has ever already purchased every sin that you've ever committed every power that rises up against you every authority that tries to come against your family every issue and situation that you will ever go through Jesus was resurrected over the top of and every ruler every authority and every power verse 25 will not Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet that's where every single one of those things go is under the feet of Jesus and finally verse 26 the message of the day the last enemy to be destroyed is death death where is your sting. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sorrow? Where is your shame? I don't have to look at my life and worry about what used to be. I get to look at my life and be excited about what's going to be. In this life or the next, I have a perspective that takes me through my test and turns it into a testimony. I have a perspective that causes me to be willing to walk in the darkness of the valley, but see the light on the other side, knowing that Jesus has already made a way where there seems to be no way because death has been destroyed. Hell has been consumed. I believe that when the blood and the water hit the ground, there was a great earthquake, but the earthquake started in hell because the demons were trembling at what just took place. They thought they were going to be excited, but all of a sudden they heard a heavenly sound coming down into the core of the earth and his name was Jesus. He was coming back to take the keys of dominion that the enemy stole from Adam. Coming back to take the life that Adam had given away. Coming back to purchase it once and for all time. He faced death so that I don't have to. He overcame death so that I would be able to. He defeated the last enemy so that I could walk in ultimate victory. Jesus died to cleanse me, to cleanse us from our sin. He was buried, sealed, shut off, to cut off our former past from ever sticking its ugly head back into our walk ever again. And He is, He is 
resurrected so that we can be too. That if we abide in Him, then we will walk as Jesus walked. If we abide in Him, then He takes our pain and gives it a purpose. If we abide in Him, then our children and our children's children have a new plan and a new destiny because Jesus didn't just die for a day. He died for eternity. A divine destination that we get to begin to discover here through the power, the power of his resurrection. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, confess with your mouth, openly declare that Jesus is Lord. How essential is the resurrection? Without the resurrection, there's no salvation. Believe in your heart. Remember, how did Jesus die? His heart exploded. That means he had to do away with the old. And he had to form an entire new one. I believe that Jesus wants to give you a heart transplant today. He wants to take the one that was hurt and broken, hardened and empty, and he wants to replace it with the one that gives eternal life, not just temporary. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. I close with this. He has a television show on just about every Christian network. Some of even the major local channels. It's called Life Today with James Robinson. James Robinson is, a, is an overseer for one of the churches that I got to be a part of that encouraged me in my journey and, and a pastor that I listen to pretty often. And at this pastor's church, James, Rob, James Robinson shared this story of being, at a, being overseas at a, at a big evangelical outreach conference. And James Robinson shared the message of the gospel and and then at the end of the message, he, he gave this altar call where he encouraged everyone. That the scripture says, if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you before my father, but if you will confess me before men, then I will confess you before my heavenly father. And so he challenged the audience of thousands of the, in this crusade to confess Christ before men. And as he was given that altar call, James Robinson said he looked up and he saw this mountain of a man coming down the aisle, tears streaming down his face over the message and the conviction, coming to give his heart to Jesus, to be saved and to set up a new destiny. And right behind the man was this little boy And every step that that monstrous man would take, that little boy would look up and he would stand in the footprints of his father. He followed him all the way down to the altar and only God knows what that little boy's doing today. Can I tell you that you don't just represent yourself. You represent a legacy. A heritage. that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then everybody that you have influence with will begin to notice something significantly different about your heart. And there will be people in your lives that will follow in your footsteps and they'll never have to go through the pain of your past. Jesus will never have to heal the scars of your bad decision. That if you will follow Jesus and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, he will set you up. Guys, the most masculine thing that you can do for your family and your future is to humble yourself before an almighty God and confess him as Lord. Lord. 
lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways. And he makes your path straight. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't, when I ask you, would that little boy have missed his opportunity? Because you represent way more than yourself. Would you pray with me this morning? Church, I want you to begin to intercede. Jesus, right now, I just pray that if there's anybody in here that's not confident with who they are in you, Lord, that right now, by the conviction of your Holy Spirit, that compels us to do something different, to to change. I pray that we would evaluate our lives and if we're not following you, or maybe once we were, but we've drifted away, Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wanna ask you right where you sit, does your life look like Jesus' life? Are you saved? Whether it be today or the day in the not so near future, we will all stand before him and give an account. Did we live for him or did we live without him? And I believe today he's calling you home. If there's anybody in here that needs to receive salvation for the very first time, the very first time, You want to ask for forgiveness of your sin based on this message. The Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart right now. And you want to confess Jesus as Lord for the very first time. I just want you to lift your hand right where you are. Say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up. just want you to lift your hand right where you are for the very first time. Anybody in the room, thank you. Anybody else? Let me ask you this. Maybe one time you made the decision, but then this morning you realize that the Word of God says that the only way that that decision makes the difference is if you remain in Christ. So maybe you made that decision one time, but since then you have drifted away from God's will for your life. Today, right now, you want to make that right. You want to confess Jesus as Lord because you really believe this message. And you just want your actions to line up with your faith. You want to recommit to Jesus today. Would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all over. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. Anybody else? I see you. I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? I see you. I don't want to leave anybody out. Just want to give you the opportunity to respond. Thank you. If your hand's lifted, we appreciate you. Church, here's what I want to do. Everybody look this way. I really felt like the Lord led me in this direction. Okay, we don't do this. I will not do this next week, actually. But today, I just felt like the Bible said, if you stand firm in your faith. And I just sensed the Lord leading me to help whoever raised their hand, and maybe even if you didn't, to stand and confess Jesus before the men and women in this sanctuary. Because we're gonna celebrate you and we're gonna send you out and we're gonna believe that Jesus is gonna help you learn how to confess him before men and women in society. So we wanna shout for you, clap for you, celebrate with you. If you raised your hand or even if you didn't, if you wanna commit or recommit your life to Jesus on the count of three, I want you to prepare your heart and I want you to stand in boldness. One, two, three. Come on, if you raised your hand, stand all over this place. Come on, church, begin to celebrate them. We're so proud of you. Church, stand with them. Come on, I'm not trying to embarrass them. This, is, this day is about you. We're all in this thing together. Listen, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you, and we want to pray for you because I really believe that this decision, the difference in this decision will be found in the distance 
between this decision and your eternal destination. So church, we're all going to pray. As the scripture says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So whether you raised your hand and stood or whether you did not, you're standing now. And if you pray this prayer, we believe that God will help you begin this journey. Would you pray with me, Jesus? Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for the price that you paid for me. Take my life. Make it yours. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. Have your will in my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, one more time. Can we just give God praise in his house this morning? You are officially the third service. Can I ask you to do two more things? And I'm going to let you go, I promise. I'm going to pray over you, just send you out. But two more things. Number one, and I almost forgot that God had led me to do this until somebody shared a testimony with me that it's the reason they're still in this church today. And they began to tell me the difference that it's made in their life. Number one, I want to ask you, if you're not from out of town and you're from this area and you do not have a church home, I want to ask you to give us one year of your life starting today. I want to ask you to plug in, come to every service that you can come to, every small group that you can attend, every extracurricular activity that we have as a church. I want to ask you to plug in to the body of Christ. Because if you love Jesus, then you're going to have to learn how to love his bride, the church. I want to ask you to give us one, one year from this day. I promise you, I promise you, if you will do that, you will look back on next Easter and your children and your children's children will point to Easter of 2018 as the day that God made the difference in our family and set us up on a new path with a new purpose. The second thing I wanna ask you to do, we believe in full submersion, water baptism here. The decision being made by an adult. I don't have anything against dedicating babies. I really don't have anything against baptizing babies. I just think it should be done again. Uh, and, and as Jesus did as example for us, I think we should do it again whenever we realize our sin and repent of our sins. So I want to invite you, if you committed or recommitted your life to Jesus today, or even since the last time we had a baptismal service, on April 29th, we're going to have another one. And weather permitting, it's going to be outside in the sunshine. Come on, somebody. And we're going to have a great celebration. We're going to praise God. We're going to shout. We're going to clap. We're going to baptize people. And I want you to be part of that celebration. It's the next step. Get plugged in with us here. Give us an opportunity. Give God an opportunity. Go the distance with Him. If you will, just open up your hands like I'm handing you a blessing because Miss Connie's waiting on me to let them babies go. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for this church, for these people, and for the churches and the communities that they represent. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find a place and fulfill our purpose. Would you bless us and keep us and make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon your people and give us peace. Maybe we be blessed in our going and blessed in our coming. May our hands be blessed and everything we put them to receive that blessing. Would you empower us, Holy Spirit, with your authority and ability to be an example for you and not an excuse that other people would use to not live for you. Lord, help us to follow you with all of our heart, to meet people and grow closer to you together. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.